Part One of The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli, translated by W. K. Marriott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Neufeld. Dedication to the magnificent Lorenzo di Piero di Medici. Those who strive to obtain the good graces of a prince are accustomed to come before him with such things as they hold most precious, or in which they see him take most delight. Whence one often sees horses, arms, cloth of gold, precious stones, and similar ornaments presented to princes, worthy of their greatness. Desiring, therefore, to present myself to your magnificence with some testimony of my devotion towards you, I have not found among my possessions anything which I hold more dear than, or value so much, as the knowledge of the actions of great men, acquired by long experience in contemporary affairs, and a continual study of antiquity, which, having reflected upon it with great and prolonged diligence, I now send, digested into a little volume, to your magnificence and although i may consider this work unworthy of your countenance nevertheless i trust much to your benignity that it may be acceptable seeing that it is not possible for me to make a better gift than to offer you the opportunity of understanding in the shortest time all that i have learnt in so many years and with so many troubles and dangers which work i have not embellished with swelling or magnificent words nor stuffed with rounded periods nor with any extrinsic allurements or adornments whatever with which so many are accustomed to embellish their works for i have wished either that no honour should be given it or else that the truth of the matter and the weightiness of the theme shall make it acceptable nor do i hold with those who regard it as a presumption if a man of low and humble condition dare to discuss and settle the concerns of princes because just as those who draw landscapes place themselves below in the plain to contemplate the nature of the mountains and of lofty places and in order to contemplate the plains place themselves upon high mountains even so to understand the nature of the people it needs to be a prince and to understand that of princes it needs to be of the people Take, then, your magnificence, this little gift in the spirit in which I send it, wherein, if it be diligently read and considered by you, you will learn my extreme desire that you should attain that greatness which fortune and your other attributes promise. And if your magnificence, from the summit of your greatness, will sometimes turn your eyes to these lower regions, you will see how unmeritedly I suffer a great and continued malignity of fortune. CHAPTER I. How many kinds of principalities there are, and by what means they are acquired? All states, all powers that have held and hold rule over men, have been and are either republics or principalities. Principalities are either hereditary, in which the family has been long established, or they are new. The new are either entirely new, as was Milan to Francesco Sforza, or they are, as it were, members annexed to the hereditary state of the prince who has acquired them, as was the kingdom of Naples to that of the king of Spain. 
Such dominions thus acquired are either accustomed to live under a prince or to live in freedom, and are acquired either by the arms of the prince himself or of others, or else by fortune or by ability. Chapter Two Concerning Hereditary Principalities I will leave out all discussion on republics, inasmuch as in another place I have written of them at length, and will address myself only to principalities. In doing so, I will keep to the order indicated above, and discuss how such principalities are to be ruled and preserved. I say at once there are fewer difficulties in holding hereditary states, and those long accustomed to the family of their prince, than new ones, for it is sufficient only not to transgress the customs of his ancestors, and to deal prudently with circumstances as they arise, for a prince of average powers to maintain himself in his state, unless he be deprived of it by some extraordinary or excessive force, and if he should be so deprived of it, whenever anything sinister happens to the usurper, he will regain it. We have in Italy, for example, the Duke of Ferrara, who could not have withstood the attacks of the Venetians in eighty-four, nor those of Pope Julius in ten, unless he had been long established in his dominions for the hereditary prince has less cause and less necessity to offend. Hence it happens that he will be more loved, and unless extraordinary vices cause him to be hated, it is reasonable to expect that his subjects will be naturally well disposed towards him, and in the antiquity and duration of his rule the memories and motives that make for change are lost, for one change always leaves the toothing for another. Chapter Three Concerning Mixed Principalities. But the difficulties occur in a new principality, and firstly, if it be not entirely new, but is, as it were, a member of a state which, taken collectively, may be called composite, the changes arise chiefly from an inherent difficulty which there is in all new principalities. For men change their rulers willingly hoping to better themselves, and this hope induces them to take up arms against him who rules, wherein they are deceived, because they afterwards find by experience they have gone from bad to worse. This follows also on another natural and common necessity, which always causes a new prince to burden those who have submitted to him with his soldiery and with infinite other hardships, which he must put upon his new acquisition. In this way you have enemies in all those whom you have injured in seizing that principality, and you are not able to keep those friends who put you there, because of your not being able to satisfy them in the way they expected, and you cannot take strong measures against them, feeling bound to them. For although one may be very strong in armed forces, yet in entering a province one has always need of the good will of the natives. For these reasons Louis the Twelfth, King of France, quickly occupied Milan, and as quickly lost it. And to turn him out the first time, it only needed Lodovico's own forces, because those who had opened the gates to him, finding themselves deceived in their hopes of future benefit, would not endure the ill-treatment of the new prince. 
it is very true that after acquiring rebellious provinces a second time they are not so lightly lost afterwards because the prince with little reluctance takes the opportunity of the rebellion to punish the delinquents to clear out the suspects and to strengthen himself in the weakest places thus to cause france to lose milan the first time it was enough for the duke lodovico to raise insurrections on the borders but to cause him to lose it a second time it was necessary to bring the whole world against him and that his armies should be defeated and driven out of italy which followed from the causes above mentioned nevertheless milan was taken from france both the first and the second time the general reasons for the first have been discussed it remains to name those for the second and to see what resources he had and what any one in his situation would have had for maintaining himself most securely in his acquisition than did the king of france now i say that those dominions which when acquired are added to an ancient state by him who acquires them are either of the same country and language or they are not when they are it is easier to hold them especially when they have not been accustomed to self-government and to hold them securely it is enough to have destroyed the family of the prince who was ruling them because the two peoples preserving in other things the old conditions and not being unlike in customs will live quietly together as one has seen in brittany burgundy gascony and normandy which have been bound to france for so long a time and although there may be some difference in language nevertheless the customs are alike and the people will easily be able to get on amongst themselves he who has annexed them if he wishes to hold them has only to bear in mind two considerations the one that the family of their former lord is extinguished the other that neither their laws nor their taxes are altered so that in a very short time they will become entirely one body with the old principality but when states are acquired in a country differing in language customs or laws there are difficulties and good fortune and great energy are needed to hold them and one of the greatest and most real helps would be that he who has acquired them should go and reside there this would make his position more secure and durable as it has made that of the turk in greece who notwithstanding all the other measures taken by him for holding that state if he had not settled there would not have been able to keep it because if one is on the spot disorders are seen as they spring up and one can quickly remedy them but if one is not at hand they are heard of only when they are great and then one can no longer remedy them besides this the country is not pillaged by your officials the subjects are satisfied by prompt recourse to the prince thus wishing to be good they have more cause to love him and wishing to be otherwise to fear him he who would attack that state from the outside must have the utmost caution as long as the prince resides there it can only be wrested from him with the greatest difficulty the other and better course is to send colonies to one or two places which may be as keys to that state for it is necessary either to do this or else to keep there a great number of cavalry and infantry a prince does not spend much on colonies for with little or no expense he can send them out and keep them there 
and he offends a minority only of the citizens from whom he takes lands and houses to give them to the new inhabitants, and those whom he offends, remaining poor and scattered, are never able to injure him, whilst the rest, being uninjured, are easily kept quiet, and at the same time are anxious not to err for fear it should happen to them as it has to those who have been despoiled. In conclusion, I say that these colonies are not costly they are more faithful, they injure less, and the injured, as has been said, being poor and scattered, cannot hurt. Upon this one has to remark that men ought either to be well treated or crushed, because they can avenge themselves of lighter injuries, of more serious ones they cannot. Therefore the injury that is to be done to a man ought to be of such a kind that one does not stand in fear of revenge but in maintaining armed men there in place of colonies one spends much more having to consume on the garrison all the income from the state so that the acquisition turns into a loss and many more are exasperated because the whole state is injured through the shifting of the garrison up and down all become acquainted with hardship and all become hostile and they are enemies who whilst beaten on their own ground are yet able to do hurt for every reason therefore such guards are as useless as a colony is useful again the prince who holds a country differing in the above respects ought to make himself the head and defender of his less powerful neighbours and to weaken the more powerful amongst them taking care that no foreigner as powerful as himself shall by any accident get a footing there for it will always happen that such a one will be introduced by those who are discontented either through excess of ambition or through fear as one has seen already the romans were brought into greece by the aetolians and in every other country where they obtained a footing they were brought in by the inhabitants and the usual course of affairs is that as soon as a powerful foreigner enters a country all the subject states are drawn to them moved by the hatred which they feel against the ruling power so that in respect to those subject states he has not to take any trouble to gain them over to himself for the whole of them quickly rally to the state which he has acquired there he has only to take care that they do not get hold of too much power and too much authority and then with his own forces and with their good will he can easily keep down the more powerful of them so as to remain entire master in the country and he who does not properly manage this business will soon lose what he has acquired and whilst he does hold it he will have endless difficulties and troubles the romans in the countries which they annexed observed closely these measures they sent colonies and maintained friendly relations with the minor powers without increasing their strength they kept down the greater and did not allow any strong foreign powers to gain authority greece appears to me sufficient for an example the achaeans and aetolians were kept friendly by them the kingdom of macedonia was humbled antiochus was driven out yet the merits of the achaeans and aetolians never secured for them permission to increase their power nor did the persuasions of philip ever induce the romans to be his friends without first humbling him 
nor did the influence of Antiochus make them agree that he should retain any lordship over the country. Because the Romans did in these instances what all prudent princes ought to do, who have to regard not only present troubles, but also future ones, for which they must prepare with every energy, because, when foreseen, it is easy to remedy them. But if you wait until they approach, the medicine is no longer in time, because the malady has become incurable. For it happens in this, as the physicians say it happens in hectic fever, that in the beginning of the malady it is easy to cure, but difficult to detect. But in the course of time, not having been either detected or treated in the beginning, it becomes easy to detect, but difficult to cure. This it happens in affairs of state, for when the evils that arise have been foreseen, which it is only given to a wise man to see, they can be quickly redressed, but when, through not having been foreseen, they have been permitted to grow in a way that every one can see them, there is no longer a remedy. Therefore the Romans, foreseeing troubles, dealt with them at once, and even to avoid a war would not let them come to a head, for they knew that war is not to be avoided, but is only to be put off to the advantage of others. Moreover, they wished to fight with Philip and Antiochus in Greece, so as not to have to do it in Italy. They could have avoided both, but this they did not wish. Nor did that ever please them which is forever in the mouths of the wise ones of our times. Let us enjoy the benefits of the time, but rather the benefits of their own valour and prudence, for time drives everything before it, and is able to bring with it good as well as evil, and evil as well as good. But let us return to France, and inquire whether she has done any of the things mentioned. I will speak of Louis, and not of Charles, as the man whose conduct is the better to be observed, he having held possession of Italy for the longest period, and you will see that he has done the opposite to those things which ought to be done to retain a state composed of diverse elements. King Louis was brought into Italy by the ambition of the Venetians, who desired to obtain half the state of Lombardy by his intervention. I will not blame the course taken by the king, because, wishing to get a foothold in Italy, and having no friends there, seeing rather that every door was shut to him owing to the conduct of Charles, he was forced to accept those friendships which he could get, and he would have succeeded very quickly in his design, if in other matters he had not made some mistakes. The king, however, having acquired Lombardy, regained at once the authority which Charles had lost. Genoa yielded, the Florentines became his friends, the Marquis of Mantua, the Duke of Ferrara, the Bentivogli, my Lady of Forli, the Lords of Faenza, of Pesaro, of Rimini, of Camarino, of Piombino, the Lucchese, the Pisans, the Sienese, everybody made advances to him to become his friend. Then could the Venetians realize the rashness of the course taken by them, which, in order that they might secure two towns in Lombardy, had made the king master of two-thirds of Italy. Let any one now consider with what little difficulty the king could have maintained his position in Italy had he observed the rules above laid down, and kept all his friends secure and protected. For although they were numerous, they were both weak and timid, 
some afraid of the church some of the venetians and thus they would always have been forced to stand in with him and by their means he could easily have made himself secure against those who remained powerful but he was no sooner in milan than he did the contrary by assisting pope alexander to occupy the romagna it never occurred to him that by this action he was weakening himself depriving himself of friends and of those who had thrown themselves into his lap whilst he aggrandized the church by adding much temporal power to the spiritual thus giving it greater authority and having committed this prime error he was obliged to follow it up so much so that to put an end to the ambition of alexander and to prevent his becoming the master of tuscany he was himself forced to come into italy and as if it were not enough to have aggrandized the church and deprived himself of friends he wishing to have the kingdom of naples divides it with the king of spain and where he was the prime arbiter in italy he takes an associate so that the ambitious of that country and the malcontents of his own should have somewhere to shelter and whereas he could have left in the kingdom his own pensioner as king he drove him out to put one there who was able to drive him louis out in turn the wish to acquire is in truth very natural and common and men always do so when they can and for this they will be praised not blamed but when they cannot do so yet wish to do so by any means then there is folly and blame therefore if france could have attacked naples with her own forces she ought to have done so if she could not then she ought not to have divided it and if the partition which she made with the venetians in lombardy was justified by the excuse that by it she got a foothold in italy the other partition merited blame for it had not the excuse of that necessity therefore louis made these five errors he destroyed the minor powers he increased the strength of one of the great powers in italy he brought in a foreign power he did not settle in the country he did not send colonies which errors had he lived were not enough to injure him had he not made a sixth by taking away their dominions from the venetians because had he not aggrandized the church nor brought spain into italy it would have been very reasonable and necessary to humble them but having first taken these steps he ought never to have consented to their ruin for they being powerful would always have kept off others from designs on lombardy to which the venetians would never have consented except to become masters themselves there also because the others would not wish to take lombardy from france in order to give it to the venetians and to run counter to both they would not have had the courage and if any one should say king louis yielded the romagna to alexander and the kingdom to spain to avoid war i answer for the reasons given above that a blunder ought never to be perpetrated to avoid war because it is not to be avoided but is only deferred to your disadvantage and if another should allege the pledge which the king had given to the pope that he would assist him in the enterprise in exchange for the dissolution of his marriage and for the cap to rouen to that i reply what i shall write later on concerning the faith of princes 
and how it ought to be kept thus king louis lost lombardy by not having followed any of the conditions observed by those who have taken possession of countries and wish to retain them nor is there any miracle in this but much that is reasonable and quite natural and on these matters i spoke at nantes with rouen when valentino as cesare borgia the son of pope alexander was usually called occupied the romagna and on cardinal rouen observing to me that the italians did not understand war i replied to him that the french did not understand statecraft meaning that otherwise they would not have allowed the church to reach such greatness and in fact it has been seen that the greatness of the church and of spain in italy has been caused by france and her ruin may be attributed to them from this a general rule is drawn which never or rarely fails that he who is the cause of another becoming powerful is ruined because that predominancy has been brought about either by astuteness or else by force and both are distrusted by him who has been raised to power chapter four why the kingdom of darius conquered by alexander did not rebel against the successors of alexander at his death considering the difficulties which men have had to hold to a newly acquired state some might wonder how seeing that alexander the great became the master of asia in a few years and died whilst it was scarcely settled whence it might appear reasonable that the whole empire would have rebelled nevertheless his successors maintained themselves and had to meet no other difficulty than that which arose among themselves from their own ambitions i answer that the principalities of which one has record are found to be governed in two different ways either by a prince with the body of servants who assist him to govern the kingdom as ministers by his favour and permission or by a prince and barons who hold that dignity by antiquity of blood and not by the grace of the prince such barons have states and their own subjects who recognize them as lords and hold them in natural affection those states that are governed by a prince and his servants hold their prince in more consideration because in all the country there is no one who is recognized as superior to him and if they yield obedience to another they do it as to a minister and official and they do not bear him any particular affection the examples of these two governments in our time are the turk and the king of france the entire monarchy of the turk is governed by one lord the others are his servants and dividing his kingdom into sanjaks he sends there different administrators and shifts and changes them as he chooses but the king of france is placed in the midst of an ancient body of lords acknowledged by their own subjects and beloved by them they have their own prerogatives nor can the king take them away except at his peril therefore he who considers both of these states will recognize great difficulties in seizing the state of the turk but once it is conquered great ease in holding it the causes of the difficulties in seizing the kingdom of the turk are that the usurper cannot be called in by the princes of the kingdom nor can he hope to be assisted in his designs by the revolt of those whom the lord has around him this arises from the reasons given above for his ministers being all slaves and bondmen can only be corrupted with great difficulty 
and one can expect little advantage from them when they have been corrupted, as they cannot carry the people with them, for the reasons assigned. Hence, he who attacks the Turk must bear in mind that he will find him united, and he will have to rely more on his own strength than on the revolt of others. But if once the Turk has been conquered, and routed in the field in such a way that he cannot replace his armies, there is nothing to fear but the family of this prince, and, this being exterminated, there remains no one to fear, the others having no credit with the people, and as the conqueror did not rely on them before his victory, so he ought not to fear them after it. The contrary happens in kingdoms governed like that of France, because one can easily enter there by gaining over some baron of the kingdom, for one always finds malcontents and such as desire a change. Such men, for the reasons given, can open the way into the state and render the victory easy. But if you wish to hold it afterwards, you meet with infinite difficulties, both from those who have assisted you and from those you have crushed. Nor is it enough for you to have exterminated the family of the prince, because the lords that remain make themselves the heads of fresh movements against you, and as you are unable to either satisfy or exterminate them, that state is lost whenever time brings the opportunity. Now, if you will consider what was the nature of the government of Darius, you will find it similar to the kingdom of the Turk, and therefore it was only necessary for Alexander first to overthrow him in the field, and then to take the country from him after which victory, Darius being killed, the state remained secure to Alexander, for the above reasons. And if his successors had been united, they would have enjoyed it securely and at their ease, for there were no tumults raised in the kingdom except those who provoked themselves. But it is impossible to hold with such tranquillity states constituted like that of France, Hence arose those frequent rebellions against the Romans in Spain, France, and Greece, owing to the many principalities there were in these states, of which, as long as the memory of them endured, the Romans always had an insecure possession. But with the power and long continuance of the empire, the memory of them passed away, and the Romans then became secure possessors and when fighting afterwards against themselves, each one was able to attach to himself his own parts of the country, according to the authority he had assumed there, and the family of the former lord being exterminated, none other than the Romans were acknowledged. When these things are remembered, no one will marvel at the ease with which Alexander held the empire of Asia, or at the difficulties which others have had to keep an acquisition such as Pyrrhus and many more. This is not occasioned by the little or abundance of ability in the conqueror, but by the want of uniformity in the subject state. Chapter 5. Concerning the way to govern cities or principalities which lived under their own laws before they were annexed. Whenever those states which have been acquired as stated have been accustomed to live under their own laws and in freedom, there are three courses for those who wish to hold them. The first is to ruin them, the next is to reside there in person, 
the third is to permit them to live under their own laws drawing a tribute and establishing within it an oligarchy which will keep it friendly to you because such a government being created by the prince knows that it cannot stand without his friendship and interest and does its utmost to support him and therefore he who would keep a city accustomed to freedom will hold it more easily by the means of its own citizens than in any other way there are for example the spartans and the romans the spartans held athens and thebes establishing there an oligarchy nevertheless they lost them the romans in order to hold capua carthage and numantia dismantled them and did not lose them they wished to hold greece as the spartans held it making it free and permitting its laws and did not succeed so to hold it they were compelled to dismantle many cities in the country for in truth there is no safe way to retain them otherwise than by ruining them and he who becomes master of a city accustomed to freedom and does not destroy it may expect to be destroyed by it for in rebellion it has always the watchword of liberty and its ancient privileges as a rallying point which neither time nor benefits will ever cause it to forget and whatever you may do or provide against they never forget that name or their privileges unless they are disunited or dispersed but at every chance they immediately rally to them as pisa after the hundred years she had been held in bondage by the florentines but when cities or countries are accustomed to live under a prince and his family is exterminated they being on the one hand accustomed to obey and on the other hand not having the old prince cannot agree in making one from amongst themselves and they do not know how to govern themselves for this reason they are very slow to take up arms and a prince can gain them to himself and secure them much more easily but in republics there is more vitality greater hatred and more desire for vengeance which will never permit them to allow the memory of their former liberty to rest so that the safest way is to destroy them or to reside there end of part one